You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com Podcast Network. Hello, hello, Miami Dolphin fans, and welcome to the same old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker. With me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Brain, I'm going to swear. So anybody who's listening... To the show, if you've got kids within earshot, I want to give you a fair warning that I'm about to swear, okay? You didn't do this before the Jets podcast. No, well, that's kind of its own thing. I mean, you got to go into the Jets podcast knowing that we're going to swear, but I'm going to swear now, okay? Okay. Folks, fuck the Bengals. (laughs) Fuck the Bengals, fuck that asshole on the Bengals, Sean Williams stepping in on Solomon Kinley's leg, just stomping on his ankle. Uh, fuck uh, Mike Thomas with two illegal hits on Jakeem Grant. Uh, I'm just, what a disgusting organization. Fuck Zach Taylor. Just everybody on that team. AJ Green, you're cool. Everybody else, I'm all set with just absolute garbage the way that they acted in this game. And uh, listen, I couldn't be happier than that, that the Miami Dolphins defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 19-7 to improve to 8-4 and four on the season and to come into this home stretch of the 2020 season with the playoffs in sight and with the disgusting Cincinnati Bengals behind us. Just what a what a gross team the Cincinnati Bengals are. Just a couple, just a lot of dirty nonsense out there from the Bengals brain. Yeah, the nasty natty. Uh I mean, look, it's it's one thing to have uh you know to play with an edge uh and it's another thing to play dirty and you know I, I'm all for teams that can manage to kind of find that line and 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 straddle that line perfectly, but you know, in order to do that, you've got to have a coach that really takes control of things, that wants to take control of things, that wants to make sure that things don't get out of hand, and makes an emphasis of it. And clearly, that's not happening in the culture there in Cincinnati. And you have a very undisciplined team, and you have a bunch of guys that are just doing whatever the hell they want. And, you know, I, I thought the word, you know, as bad as like all of those individual acts were to me, what I thought was most disgusting was after the second Mike Thomas hit, which 
started the, you know, the which led to the Dolphins sideline pouring out onto the field. Brian Flores going after the the sideline and we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, you know, the you know, when we're talking about the good, bad and the ugly uh and and the ramifications or potential ramifications of all of that. But what I thought was particularly disgusting was after all of that and and two really horrendous penalties by by Mike Thomas, you you see him on the sideline just yucking it up, like 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 you know like like it was no big deal, and he he's just happy that he got to deliver you know a big hit to Jakeem Grant. Thankfully, Jakeem Grant, uh, it looks like he just got like the wind knocked out of him. He got up, he was fine. He actually returned the next punt. Well, called a fair catch. Thank God. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, thankfully Jakeem was healthy and we were able to, to kind of move on. But I thought that, that was really disgusting. And then the guy goes in and he's on Twitter and he, he's tweeting about it and he's saying, and he's joking about it. Uh, you know, but, but, you know, after he does that and he's laughing on the sideline and you see that. And then Cincinnati has to punt again after that huge long delay. I mean, you can't tell me that if this was the Dolphins and the Dolphins had a player who did that twice on consecutive punts, that that guy would be that that guy wouldn't be sitting on the bench. Especially after the brawl and everything that just took place, like the fact that he was out there and and just had no no discipline to him. You know, Zach Taylor did nothing. Special teams coach did nothing. None of them pulled him aside, said anything to him. It was almost like he got an attaboy for it. Yeah, uh, it's, which it's is total just, nonsense. It's, yeah, it's it, just so garbage. it was. It was horrific, and they, and you're right. Like, fuck the Bengals. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, fuck the Bengals. And you, you know what else? While we're at it, fuck the Steelers too. Because guess what? As we're recording right now on Monday evening, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been defeated by the Washington football team. So the 1972 perfect season Miami Dolphins remained the only team, the only team in the history of the National Football League to have a perfect season. Pop the champagne, boys. Pop the champagne, class of 72. Lachaim. It's not champagne, but I'll drink to that. Yeah, I'm having water. I'm having water. It's helpful for my vocal cords to have water. But Likewise. at any rate, Miami Dolphins get the 19-7 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. And with four games to go, find themselves in, right in the middle of the playoff hunt. They, they've gotten, uh, almost got a little bit of help from the Jets, who almost... Who, who jets in the most jetsy way this weekend. Uh, the Jets almost defeated the Las Vegas Raiders, but just they're the Jets. So Greg Williams calls an all-out <laughs> cover zero blitz and and they get beat on the last play of the game. But that's, you know, whatever. That's that's Adam Gase and Greg Williams' problem. That's not our problem anymore. Uh but so while that might have been helpful to us, the, the Dolphins took care of their business, which is all that we can ask for as Miami Dolphins fans. Yeah, it's great to get a little bit of help from elsewhere, but what you want at the end of the day is for your team 
to take care of their business. And that's exactly what the Dolphins did. So we're going to get into the good, the bad, and the ugly from this one, as we always do. But first, a reminder to make sure that you are following us on social media, facebook.com slash same old Dolphins. Give us a like over there. Follow us on Twitter at Amplified to Rock, at A.A. Ron, the brain, that's at Aaron, the brain, at same old dolphins. And make sure you go to Apple Podcasts where you can download, rate, review, and subscribe to the same old dolphin show. We appreciate all of you that have taken the time to do that. And every episode of the same old dolphin show is available at dolphinstalk.com, your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins and the home for all the latest Miami Dolphins news and information. Make sure you're visiting dolphinstalk.com each and every day. All right, Brent, let's get into this game between the Miami Dolphins and the Cincinnati Bengals. I think overall, again, this was the Miami Dolphins coming in and going to work and doing what they needed to do to get the win. Let's dive in on the good, and there's quite a bit of it. And I think the only place, really, the only logical place to start when you want to talk about the good from this game is this unbelievable Miami Dolphins defense. If it's not for one play where Byron Jones takes the wrong angle and Brandon Jones makes a little bit of a mistake and turns into a 72-yard touchdown for Tyler Boyd, if it's not for that, the rest of the game was almost complete lockdown from this defense, Brain. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, the Bengals also had a a really nice drive at the end of the first half where I I felt the Dolphins were really fortunate that the Bengals missed a field goal. It could have very easily been a 10 to 6 game going into the half, but this was a bad half of football from the Miami Dolphins on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, and in the second half, they looked like a different team. They looked like a team that got chewed out and and woke up at halftime uh, with just a, a brand new sense of urgency and completely dominated this football game. Uh, the offense set the tone, but the defense was dominant throughout. In fact, the Cincinnati Bengals ran 22 plays on offense in the second half for a total of 30 yards. And prior to their final drive of the of the game, which ended in an interception, prior to that drive, they had run 16 plays for negative 2 yards on four drives. You love to see it. Six 16 plays for negative two yards. And that last drive where they gained 32 yards, 22 of them came on a short pass that was, uh, you know, turned into a 22 yard gain. And, and, you know, it was a, it was one bad play. It was one little hiccup in an otherwise completely dominant, uh, performance by this Dolphins defense in the second half. Uh, and what makes it even more impressive is that they played the entire second half without Xavier Howard, arguably the defensive player of the year, certainly the best player on this Dolphins defense thus far this season. They are also played the entire second half without a Landon Roberts, the team's best run stopping linebacker. Uh, so they, they were shorthanded and significantly so 
and they were still utterly dominant. Uh, and, and it seemed like after, I mean, look, the defense came out and they, they, they were dominant pretty much from the get go. But after that, that brawl, well, I mean, it, it wasn't a brawl, but after the, the, the sidelines cleared after the little scuffle, we'll call it, I really felt like the Dolphins defense ratcheted up the intensity to a whole other level to where it felt like every single time that, uh, you know, Corey Allen dropped back to throw, throw a pass. He had a, he had less than two seconds before he was, he had, he had a Dolphins defensive lineman or a Dolphins linebacker laying on top of him. It was just, that's the, that was outstanding defense. That was elite level defense. You got to take into account the opponent, but that's the kind of defense that the Dolphins are going to need to play if they want to make a playoff run. Absolutely. Carlton Allen had no time at all to throw the ball in this game. And for those of you who didn't listen to the preview show, this is the shtick that we're running with is that Brandon Allen is a absolute generic NFL quarterback to the point that we couldn't even remember his name. So we just keep changing his name. So yeah, it's safe to say that Douglas Allen had a very rough go of it and the Dolphins were breathing down his neck all day long. And that's a really good thing because they're going to need to keep a lot of that momentum going as we go into these last four games when the opposition gets much tougher. Of course, the defense wasn't the only good in this game. We got to talk about the coming out party for Mike Gesicki in this game. Gesicki had himself a little field day. And I think, and it's not just Gesicki having a great day with nine receptions, 88 yards and a touchdown targeted 11 times. But I think that's the other thing that you got to really stress is that he was targeted 11 times by Tua Tungavailoa, uh, who re- finally seemed to recognize that this is a guy that can go up and get the ball and he can win those 50-50 balls. And the two of them really established a nice connection in this game that hopefully bodes well for the Dolphins uh, coming into these final four games of the season. Absolutely. And uh, one more good, you know, this was not like by any stretch an outstanding game by Tua, but the Dolphins found something in the second half of this game with the no huddle offense going up tempo and Tua got into a rhythm and for the first time since that Arizona game, you could see the wow plays the the you you saw the vintage Tua making a making a guy miss in the backfield keeping his eyes downfield delivering a strike rolling out to his left uh scrambling getting that the defense you know in that uncertain no man's land where they're not sure whether to defend the run or defend the pass and and you know, keeping his eyes downfield and on the move, delivering a 35 yard pass on the money. That, those are the traits. Those are the plays that made Tua an elite NFL prospect. And we saw those plays on display in the second half when he started to get into a rhythm, get some confidence. You can see that Tua is a really instinctive player. 
when he is playing on his instincts, the greatness just shines. It just, you let the rain, you take the reins off and you just, you let the sports car just go. You just like, let him fly. Let him do his thing. You might make a mistake every now and then, but the wow plays are there to be made. You can see that when they're trying to be careful with him and they're trying to keep him in the pocket and he's thinking too much the or he's just doing the the quick little passes you know where it's very simple like that you he see he looks handcuffs and then when his first read isn't there he starts thinking and you you could just see it he's hesitant and he's not the same quarterback but when you break the reins and just let him go and let to a cook i mean you get some wow plays and that's that's the kind of stuff that makes me really excited for the future of this team and, and the future of Tua Tungavailoa because he looked just like the guy that we saw at Alabama uh, for stretches of this game in the second half. Not so much in the first half, but when they really, you know, let him let him cook, Tua looked he looked like the truth. Yeah, he he really did. And he ends up 26 of 39 for 296 and a touchdown. Still no interceptions. And for all of the talk that we heard all that we've heard all season long about how Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are your two rookie quarterbacks who are the ones that are looking really good and they're like the class of this year's QB class. Well, I don't know if you saw any of that Chargers-Patriots game, but the Patriots made Justin Herbert look absolutely horrible as they they romped over the Chargers 45-0. And, you know, Joe Burrow's hurt. And, you know, and I don't want to say anything about that because that, you know, obviously having an offensive line probably would have been helpful for Joe Burrow. But at the end of the day, right now, Tua Tungavailoa is the rookie quarterback with the highest quarterback rating in the National Football League. He has thrown uh, eight interceptions. Or, I'm sorry, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. And <laughs> you can you can say all you want about, well, oh, this guy dropped the pass and it should have been caught and it should have been picked off and it should have blah, 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 blah. At the end of the day, none of that, None of those interceptions came to be interceptions because they were dropped. You could also say he should have had a 91-yard touchdown pass in this game to Jakeem Grant, who we're going to talk about in a second. But Jakeem Grant couldn't make the play. Jakeem Grant holds on to that bomb from Tua that was right there in his hands, and and Tua's numbers look completely different in this game. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, it is what it is, but... And, and I'm not saying that Tua hasn't had moments where he has been questionable or, or hasn't looked great because he's had plenty of those moments. But the fact is that overall, if you're looking at the entire body of work, I think that the overall picture is one that should encourage you as, as a Dolphin fan. Does, are you seeing signs that he is the best quarterback in the league right now? No, of course not. But you're seeing those glimpses of what his ceiling is. And as things go on with him, I think there's going to be an opportunity for him to, you know, to really shine. And I think you've got to be confident as a Miami Dolphin fan, given the performances that he's put in. And I'm glad they got him cooking again in this game against Cincinnati because, 
you know, Kansas City's coming to town next week, and it's going to be a much stiffer challenge for for Tua and the gang. But we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to Kansas City when it's time to get to Kansas City. First, let's let's keep talking about something else that was a good in this game. How are we going to not tie? And we talked about the defense, but we didn't talk about Xavier Howard get, coming down with his eighth interception of the season. This is, I, th- I, I mean, by far the best cornerback in the National Football League. Opposing quarterbacks have something like a 45% completion percentage when they're targeting Xavier Howard. He has just been absolutely fantastic. Eight interceptions on the season. He's definitely going to be an all-pro, definitely going to be a pro bowler. And I I think he's got to be very much in the conversation with Aaron Donald as, as your defensive player of the year. I mean, this guy is really, really getting it done. And, and you know, in, in a league like this, in the National Football League, where people are really concerned about the flashy kinds of, of stats, eight interceptions is a pretty flashy stat, Bryn. Yeah, and it's not just the interceptions. I mean, the interceptions are incredible, and the fact that he's getting an interception... <laughs> Like, I mean, eight interceptions in, in 12 games is ridiculous. And he's got something like 20 interceptions in his last 34 games, which <laughs> is just, it's just unheard of. That's insane. Uh, it, that is insane production yeah. from a cornerback. It is. But, but it's not just that because it's not like he's, you know, been one of those corners that will give up, will, will get a big play, but also give up a big play because he hasn't been giving up the big plays. He's been basically locking things down. And then he's also not one of these corners that is afraid to tackle because he'll go up there and he'll, he'll tackle. He'll, he'll help out and run defense. He's been all over the field. Uh, it was a few weeks ago. I think he had to go back to like the Arizona game, but I remember, uh, you know, one of the the big talk in that Arizona game was a pair of of Arizona decisions on third and one, fourth and one, and they got a couple of those situations because Xavier Howard as a corner and Byron Jones at a corner were up there making stops at the line of scrimmage, and and that's something that uh, I don't think gets talked about enough. With as great as this secondary has played. Because the secondary has been phenomenal in pass defense. And that's been talked about by us and, and by several others uh, for, you know, basically the last two months now. Because the Dolphins have won seven of their last eight games. And the, the catalyst for it has been the play of this secondary. Uh, but it hasn't been talked about enough the way these guys really play complete defensive football. They're not just uh, defending the pass. They're up there tackling, uh, you know, on the run. And it's not just the corners, but it's Bobby McCain uh, who looks as, I mean, I, I don't remember Bobby McCain missing a tackle all season long. Eric Rowe is all over the place consistently uh, in the box making plays. And when Brandon Jones is in there, Brandon Jones is making plays. I mean, this this Dolphin secondary is is incredible and Xavier Howard is the leader of the pack. Yeah, the Dolphins defense just all around really doing a great job. Number they were number 2 in the NFL in scoring defense 
uh, coming into the Monday night game that Pittsburgh just finished with Washington and Pittsburgh was like a, a less than a full point um, ahead of them in points per game. So the Dolphins probably are now the number one scoring defense because Pittsburgh gave up 23 points to Washington tonight. So that would leave probably the Miami Dolphins as the number one scoring defense in the National Football League. So really, really good stuff from the Dolphins. The Dolphins defense. have given up 212 points. At this point in the season, every team has now had a bye week. This was the last week for bye That's week. Right. So every team has That's played correct. 12 games. Uh, the Dolphins have given up 212 points. The Steelers have given up 211 points. Oh, man. So, I mean, they're right there, neck and neck. Yeah. So The Ravens have given up 214. So those three. And then the next closest team is... At 241 points uh, allowed the New Orleans Saints. So there's there's a significant, there's two points a game, basically, difference between those three teams and then the next closest team. So those three teams are your elite scoring defenses right now in the National Football League. The Dolphins, yeah. the Steelers, and the Ravens. I did not think, as, as optimistic as I was, and look, the season's not over yet, and we're going to get into the, the brutal stretch that the Dolphins have left, which starts with the most dangerous one, the, the, the highest scoring team or one of them in the league in the Kansas City Chiefs next week. But I did not think that coming into the last four games of the season, I would be speaking about the Dolphins' defense in the same breath as the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense and the Baltimore Ravens' defense. It's a pretty remarkable turn of events, and it just it speaks to how great of a job Josh Boyer and Brian Flores are doing with this team on the defensive side of the ball. It's just, it's you cannot say enough good things about the, the work that they are doing with this team. It's really, really fantastic. Let's, uh, let's move off of the good stuff. Oh, wait, we can't move off of the good stuff. There's more good stuff. The GOAT, Jason Sanders, four for four including a 48-yarder. The other three we can get into here, and I think provides us a nice transition into the bad because the other three field goals were much, much shorter, and that speaks to the kind of very conservative play calling we were seeing from Chan Gailey, particularly when the Dolphins were deep in the red zone. And uh, I think the the one real example was that goal-to-go situation where they just ran the ball uh, three, four times, three times, and then gave up and tried to kick the field goal and didn't ever try to take a shot some other way into the end zone with, with Gaskin. Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be all over Chan Gailey. I am not one of those people that thinks he's doing a terrible job with this team. I think you've got to, you've got to consider the fact that Tua is a rookie who, could only absorb so much of the playbook in a sort of protracted, preseason and offseason program that didn't go the way that it normally would have gone. Uh, plus he's, you know, he, he's, he's been hurt and he's also doesn't have a whole lot of playmakers around him. So I, I, I don't want to say that Chan Gailey is um, purposely sort of, uh, you know, holding to a back. I think there's only so much that, that two can do and be comfortable with, but 
you know, and and I think largely a lot of the concepts that they're running offensively are, are pretty good, and we really saw them find something, particularly in the second half of this game. However, when the Dolphins find themselves in these red zone situations, it seems more often than not, things are getting bottled up and getting very conservative, and, you know, playing for the field goals like that is it's got a very sort of Tony Sperano feel to it and I think that is something that could prove to be problematic if you're getting three points when you're inside the opponent's five yard line instead of six or seven points especially when you start to go up against high potent offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs yeah and I think the sequence that you're talking about was actually a sequence in the first half uh, where the Dolphins got inside the 10 and then they ran a couple of plays and then on third and goal from from I think like the three yard line they they did another run and and I didn't like that at the time I I still am not crazy about it but I also understood it because I think they had every intention of going for it with on fourth down with the fake field goal which by the way <laughs> that would have been a an absolute special play but you know we'll get into the bad I, I guess here's a bad you know that was a bad mental error by a couple of rookies there in in Robert Hunt and Austin Jackson because all they needed to do was report themselves as eligible and that's you know and that's uh you know that's a field I mean that's a fake field goal I guess I guess you could say maybe that like the idea there is that you're trying to maybe pull a fast one up by the refs because if you report yourself as as eligible maybe you're sending an alarm off to the to the to the opposing defense you don't want to tip your hand you don't want to tip your hand right but but if you don't do that then you get yourself you know an illegal formation uh which is what happened but at any rate uh the the that was one thing what i didn't like in the second half when the Dolphins took the opening drive down and scored a touchdown on a touchdown pass to Mike Gesicki. And then they're driving essentially all through the air. And then it's run, run, and then a fade. And then they did it again and it's run, run, and then a fade. And it's just like... They, Look, it, it hurts that they can't run the football, and that's probably overarching. That's that that's probably the biggest bad right now. That's the biggest theme with this Dolphins offense right now is that we can't run the ball when we want to run the ball, and we can't run the ball when we need to run the ball. And you need to be able to run the ball when you get down inside the 10-yard line. You have to be able to do it well. But at some point... As an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, you gotta just understand the personnel on your team, the strengths and weaknesses of your team, and understand that, like, if you can't run the ball, you can't run the ball. And if you've got Tua and he's on fire, then you gotta let him, you gotta give him the opportunity. Uh, he's not at like Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning status yet where you get inside the 10 and you need to throw the ball three times, but you got to give him better opportunities and it can't just be, all right, we're throwing a fade to Devonte Parker. We're throwing a fade to Mike Kosicki. There's got to be a little bit more creativity than that. Uh, 
And, and I think that that's a fair criticism of Chan Gailey in this game. And in a game where I thought Chan Gailey did a lot of good, I thought there was a lot of things to, to like. I thought, you know, finding ways to, to pick up yardage on the ground, even though I guess they're technically not ground, not running plays, you know, they're shovel passes with the jet sweep motion, uh, to, to Jakeem Grant. Uh, we saw Tua air it out a little bit. We saw them roll Tua out in the, in the pocket. I thought there was a lot of good here. We obviously going up tempo in the, in the second half that worked out. I just think that for whatever reason, we get inside the 10 and you know, maybe it's because of the opponent. Maybe it's they, they said, look, we're playing the Bengals. Our defense is completely dominating this game. Let's not make a mistake. I don't love that, but I can also understand that because at the end of the day, the name of the game isn't whether you win 30 to, to seven or whether you win 19 to seven. The end of the, at the end of the day, it's about getting a win. Uh, yep. and, and they got, they That's got right. the win. They sure did. They sure did get the win, which is a good thing, but it doesn't it doesn't fully cover up all of these things that need to be addressed because again, just as we were able to get a win against the Jets playing an imperfect game, we we were able to get a win against the Bengals playing an imperfect game. When you go up against tougher teams, teams that are in the playoff hunt with you, whether it's the Chiefs, whether it's the Patriots who are hanging around, the Patriots are going to be a tougher opponent than I think a lot of Dolphins fans might have thought when they saw the Patriots sitting there with a 2-5 and record and a lot of people once again decided it was safe to write the obituary for the New England Patriots, which at this point we we should have learned never do that. And they're still hanging around and that's going to be a tough game in a couple of weeks. But whether it's against the Raiders, who have a high-powered offense when when it wants to be, and or in Week 17 against the Buffalo Bills, the Dolphins are going to need to address these things because they will come back to haunt them. And another thing that I think needs to be addressed is the third down efficiency. The Dolphins ended up officially one of ten on third downs in this game. They were zero for eight at one point. Now the one the one of ten also said there was when they were zero and zero for eight on third downs. There was a big run that Miles Gaskin busted where he put the ball on the ground where he would have converted the third down, but instead fumbled the ball away. So it doesn't count as a third down conversion. Literally, the Dolphins finally converted on their final third down attempt of the game. But so there's really two things to address there. One is inability convert to convert on third down. And two is yet another running back putting the ball on the ground for the Dolphins. And I think while, yes, we know that the offensive line and their run blocking is an issue, I think another issue is the Dolphins just do not have an elite top-tier running back who can hold on to the ball and make some big plays for you. Miles Gaskin is a perfectly fine, a perfectly fine average NFL running back, but there is nothing about Miles Gaskin that makes him, I think, any kind of special player in this league. Running backs are largely a dime a dozen in this league. So it really takes something special to be uh, an above average running back. And that is not what Miles Gaskin is. I, and that's no offense to Miles Gaskin. He's a nice guy. He's doing a serviceable job for the Dolphins here. But 
we are going to be upgrading the running back position just as I think we're going to be upgrading the wide receiver position in this upcoming offseason because as we've seen, just the lack of skill players who can be relied upon to consistently make good plays and, and running backs to not put the ball on the ground is, is something that the Dolphins are lacking. Yeah, and and it's something that that's gonna get addressed. I I actually really like Miles Gaskin. I, I agree there he maybe he's nothing special, but I think that uh there's there's a lot to like there. I think he's a really good player. I think it's it's not all on the running back. I, I don't know that there are many running backs that could come into this offense right now and you know be running for you know fourteen hundred yards. I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's really realistic. I think he, he, this offensive line is still very much a work in progress. It's still very young. I mean, they started three rookies on the offensive line this week, uh, and a, and a journeyman center. So it's not like you know, <laughs> it's not like you got a an elite offense, uh, an elite offensive line. You've got a wide receiving, uh, wide receiver core that is less than ideal, and uh, and you've got a rookie quarterback back there. So it's not like this offense is a finely tuned or well oiled machine right now, where you know they could just kind of do whatever they want. If if we had some great passing game it would open up more lanes for the for the running game. If you, if you had some great offensive line, it would be a lot easier to run. We don't have either of those things right now. And so it, the offense as a whole is just very much a work in progress. I I you've got a quarterback that's working through things to get better each week. Uh, you've got a wide receiving core that doesn't get a whole lot of separation, and you've got an offensive line that I think, as much as it's improved, and it is clearly an improved offensive line, it still has a ways to go to be an upper echelon offensive line in this league. And I think uh, you're you're fooling yourself if you think that the work is done on that offensive line because it's not there. There's a lot of work to be done on that offense. And it's not just at the skill positions with wide receivers and running backs, though those, those positions also need an upgrade. The offensive line still absolutely needs an upgrade. Oh, I agree. I don't know that there is very, I don't know that there are very many places in this team where there isn't room for upgrades. I think even, I mean, the secondary is, is pretty close to being set, but I think you can absolutely upgrade your linebackers. I think you can still add a little bit of strength on, on the defensive line to be able to get, get to the quarterback a little bit. Obviously that offensive line needs some help. Uh, as well. And then, of course, you've got your skill positions, your wide receivers, and, and your running backs. I think, you know what? I feel very confident with where we are at uh, in special teams when it comes to our place kicker and our punter. I feel good about those two positions. I feel pretty good about the quarterback right now. I, 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 I'm feeling pretty confident that we're headed in the right direction with Tua. But yeah, there are still some places on this team where they need to upgrade. A couple other things you want to touch out on under bad here. Uh, Jakeem Grant did not have a good day. This was bad Jakeem. We touched on him dropping the bomb from Tua that, that would have 
completely changed the game in the first half. Uh, he, he made a couple of nice plays on the jet sweeps, and obviously you can't fault him for getting you know crushed on some of those punt, uh, those punt returns. You can, Although, though. If, you, if you call the fair catch, maybe you're not getting rocked like that. But right. I don't know. You wanted to talk about bad Jakeem. Yeah, well, and it, it's not even just those, but he had a very dangerous play early in the game. I think it was in the first quarter on a punt return where he fielded a punt inside his 10, which that generally is a no-no. He And he didn't call fair catch on that, and the coverage was right there. So it was just, and, and Jakeem does not have, he's not, the, the one knock on him as a punt returner, and I'll say, you know, week after week that he's, the best punt returner in the league because of the things that he can do when he gets out in space and out in the open and he's leading the National Football League in punt return yards and in yards per return. So he's obviously really good at it, but he can make it an adventure when it comes to catching the ball. And that's on punts as well. And so when the defense is, or when the the gunners are barreling down on him and he's inside his own 10, that's not the time to try to do something spectacular, especially early in a game against the Bengals. Like, that's the time to to call a fair catch, catch the ball, and let your offense get to work. Um, and, you know, so it, this was a bad game all around from Jakeem. And, and the weird thing about Jakeem is that you can't seem to just have a... Uh, you know, a game where he does a couple of good things and a couple of bad things. It's like Jakeem Grant either shows up and has a great game where he's just every every time you you call his name, it's because he's doing something really well, or you're every time you call his name, you're just like wanting to throw something at the TV because what the hell is he doing? And this was one of those games. Yeah, he's a maddeningly maddeningly inconsistent guy who's just up and down, and it's just it'll. It'll drive you crazy, drive you crazy with Jakeem. The other aspect that we wanted to talk about in bad, and I think it lends itself pretty nicely to the ugly from this game, is the discipline problems. There were uh, a lot of lot of dumb penalties, particularly in the first first half. A lot of personal fouls. A lot of just you know, just not smart penalties that we saw from the Dolphins, and it was it was almost like a lack of composure. It was kind of hard to. It was just it was just really unusual because this team, and and it's been a hallmark of Brian Flores' Dolphins, is that they've been such a well disciplined team on both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball when it comes to penalties. But in this game, that wasn't the case, particularly early on. And then, you know, listen, I think the ejection of Xavier Howard and, and Tyler Boyd, I thought those ejections were soft, but in the National Football League, even when you're sticking up for a guy, you got to know that you can't, you can't even do anything that even resembles throwing a punch. And, you know, especially well after the fact, especially when you're on the sideline and that's what and that's what happened with Xavier Howard. And look, I appreciate up and down what 
what Xavier Howard was doing there, sticking up for his team. I appreciate Devontae Parker and Mac Hollins and, and Brian Flores and the entire team sticking up for Jakeem Grant when he took that second cheap shot in the, in the fourth quarter of this game. I, you absolutely appreciate your guys going out there and standing up for their teammates. It's really important. It's really great to see that there was this kind of bond between everybody on this team. But as you're doing that, you've got to be able to keep your composure and do it in such a way that you don't sacrifice yourself for the rest of the game. So Devontae Parker and Mac Hollins get ejected. Fortunately, it sounds like they're not going to be facing suspensions. They may be facing fines, but they're not going to be suspended. I mean, luckily, this was a game where the Dolphins were pretty much had it all in control at that point. But when you when you put yourself in that situation and you let your emotions get the better of you, it can really put your team behind the eight ball. Luckily, like I said, it sounds like the Dolphins are going to get off scot-free. And I'm not certainly suggesting that these players should be out there playing without emotion. I love the emotion. I love the fire. That's exactly right. You got to do that. But you have to, at the same time, understand what you cannot do under any circumstances because, you know, if you get yourself thrown out of the game, if, you know, Devontae Parker gets himself thrown out of the game because he gets heated... Uh, the Dolphins have lost one of their best offensive weapons. And so that's that was something that I thought was an ugly. It was an unfortunate thing. The melee was ugly. The bench-clearing brawl was ugly, although the meme that is going around showing uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Miami Dolphins have a bench-clearing brawl in the middle of the field, and then the Cincinnati Bengals are doing. Cincinnati Bengals offensive line is doing what it's always doing, protecting absolutely nobody, and it's just the four <laughs> or five of them sitting on the bench on the sideline while everybody else is getting into it on the field. I thought that was very funny, but otherwise, just kind of an ugly situation. It's ugly to have. It, listen, the hit was ugly. It was a cheap shot. And just, you know, players losing their cool and getting ejected from the game is, is ugly and, and it's not great. The, the, the motivation behind it, good, but getting, letting it take you to a place where you got yourself thrown out of the game, that not so good. Yeah. And like, like you said, like we're fortunate that, uh, it looks like there's not going to be suspensions because, Look, if you're Xavier Howard or Devontae Parker, you're two of the best players on this football team. Like, you know, you getting ejected from this game, if we're not playing the Bengals, you might lose this game. And if you get suspended, well, you're going up against Kansas City next week, which is going to be extremely difficult regardless but it's it would be darn near impossible without those two players. And so you've got to have some knowledge of who you are as a player and your importance to the team. You know, if you want to throw Mac Hollins out there and, and like I don't want to diminish the importance of Mac Hollins on special teams as a gunner, he might be the best gunner on the on the football team and one of the better gunners in all of the National Football League. But if Mac Hollins wants to go out there and throw a couple of punches and get himself ejected or suspended for a game to make a point, okay. But not I, Devontae I don't, I don't Parker. I don't like that either. But I don't like that either. But if it's gonna like if you're gonna have somebody do it, you gotta send out a goon. 
You got to have a goon to do it. Send out Michael Dieter. You know, he not do it. Send out Julian Davenport. Send out your, you know, send those guys out there. Send out Calvin Munson, who had his own Kiko Alonso cheap shot. And he ended up playing, you know, a few snaps in this game because of the absence of a Landon Roberts. But you know what I'm saying? Send out, you know, if, if you're going to do that, and you're going to do it to, to stick up from guys and you're going to sacrifice yourself a little bit, you know, don't sacrifice your bet. Don't sacrifice Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker. Let, let Igbo get into, you know, <laughs> earn his stripes a little bit as the fourth cornerback. And by the way, uh, you know, give a little bit of props. I know we're on the ugly and we we're pretty much done covering it because this was the ugly of the game, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say, how about the performance by Noah Igbenogany in this game? Because Xavier Howard didn't play at all in the second half. And Noah Igbenogany got thrown into the fire as a boundary corner opposite Byron Jones. And I don't believe he gave up a catch. Uh, if he did, I mean, obviously the Dolphins defense in general, the second half, they gave up 30 yards. So he obviously did a good job, but Noah Igbenogany, three of the last four games coming into this one was inactive or, or didn't play any snaps. He got in there and got thrown into the fire, uh, and did a good job. So, you know, big ups to Noah Igbenogany. Igbo, Igbo showing up and that is appreciated. Absolutely. So, Brain, any uh, any other last parting thoughts that you want to share with the people before we turn the page and move on to these final four games and this monumental task facing the Dolphins on Sunday? This is where you want to be. Uh, I think even the most ardent Dolphin supporters, uh, I think the best they could have absolutely hoped for was probably this. And I think even they, I I think even most of them would say, you know, I don't think we would have been eight and four. (laughs) Uh, But, but here we are. This is, this is what you want. And at this point, it is not enough to simply say this team getting to this point has already proven what they needed to prove and they're playing with house money. No. This team being where they're at right now at 8 and 4 has changed the expectation. The expectation now is to make the playoffs. Finish this thing because at the beginning of the season, if you looked at this and you said, "Well, you got to play New England there." Uh, at the end of the game, you get them at home, but you got to play New England. You would say New England's a better team. You know, that that's not a game you should expect to win. And you'd look at that Vegas game. You say, well, that's on the road. And, you know, Las Vegas, they might be better than us or at least the same. So that that might not be one that you expect to win. No, we got a better record than than the Raiders. We're playing better football than the Raiders. That's a game that I expect to win. I expect to win the game at home. I mean, I'm saying as far as expectations of what they where they should be, Dolphins fans should absolutely not be happy 
And, and, and look, grand scheme of things, at the end of the day, if they go 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs, you might be I, I, be disappointed, but then, you know, a few weeks later down the road, when you look at the season as a whole, you can look at it and be overall happy. But right now, it's 10-6 and six and playoffs or bust. And that's that's what the that's, expectations that's right. are, and you got you can't be okay if that if that doesn't happen. You know, a Absolutely. month from now, and if they miss the playoffs, you could be. I mean, a month from the end of the season, if they miss the playoffs, you could look back at it and say, "Hey, it was a pretty good season," and obviously, this team's moving in the right direction. But right now, you know, in a vacuum, just looking at this season. This team should be a playoff team. The expectation should be that they are in the playoffs come, uh, you know, after week 17. Absolutely. And you talk about these last four games being difficult games and the Dolphins have to go up against Kansas City. They have to go up against New England. They have to go up against Vegas. They have to go up against Buffalo. But you know what? All of those teams have to go up against the Miami Dolphins as well. And this is a Miami Dolphins team that has won eight games. And a bunch of those games were victories over teams that a lot of us did not see the Dolphins winning at the beginning of the season. And the Dolphins went and got the job done. So there's no reason that this team shouldn't fight and shouldn't be competitive and shouldn't find a way to win two of these final four games at the very least you go into this game against Kansas City and I'm sure we'll talk about it but I mean you're playing with house money against Kansas City because nobody nobody expects the Dolphins to win that game you might think the Dolphins have a chance and they do have a chance there's absolutely uh, a world in which the Dolphins win that game against Kansas City 100% but if you're asking, you know, you got all these people, you get the talking heads on TV on on Thursday night football or, or, or Sunday, and they ask the whole panel who's going to win. And 100% when that happens on Sunday, everybody on that panel, you're going to see the Kansas City logo over and over and over again. And that's fine because the Dolphins can embrace the role of underdogs in that game and come out and play hard and maybe figure out a way to upset the Chiefs. We've seen, there is, and we'll get into it in our next show, there's a ground plan. There is a way to succeed in defeating the Chiefs. It's just a question of whether or not the Dolphins can do it. But why not go out and play freely because nobody's expecting you to win that one. So anyway, we'll get into that game in the next next episode of the show. For now, a reminder to visit manscaped.com. Head over to manscaped.com. Get yourself some men's below-the-belt grooming equipment. And you can use the promo code DOLPHINSTALK and save 20% off your order and get free shipping. I'll tell you what, my father-in-law did it. My father-in-law went to manscaped.com. Why don't you go over to manscaped.com, get yourself set up, and, uh, you know, get yourself all neat and clean. You can get yourself the lawnmower 3.0, get yourself the crop mop, get yourself the weed whacker, ear, ear and nose hair trimmer, the uh, the ball toner and the ball deodorant. It's good stuff, folks. I'm telling you, we, we've, uh, we've used it personally. I have used it personally. Strongly recommend. It's a, it's a very nice scent, actually, too. Uh, you know, Big E, Miami Dolphins fan of the year for 2020, Ian Berger, who you hear on Thursday mornings here on DolphinsTalk.com, he swears up and down by the smell of that stuff. So, hey, you know, set yourself up. Visit Manscaped.com and save 20% off of your order and get free shipping when you use the promo code DolphinsTalk at 
checkout. That's it, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Same Old Dolphin Show. We'll be back later this week with a preview of the Kansas City game. But until then, take care of yourselves and each other. And we will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Go Dolphins! Miami's got the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air.